If life is calling you to something greater, then your responsibility is to not do it, but rather cause it to happen. By causing it to happen, that's infinitely scalable. Spend your time on building systems to support you and people to support you. By doing so, you're an even greater responsibility of what life is calling you to because that empowers you to reach more people and make a bigger difference. Welcome to the Positive Productivity Podcast, Episode 536. The Positive Productivity Podcast was created to empower entrepreneurs to achieve and appreciate personal and professional success. I'm your host, Kim Sutton, and if you're ready, let's jump into today's episode. Welcome back to another episode of Positive Productivity. This is your host, Kim Sutton, and I'm so happy that you're here to join us today. And I'm thrilled to introduce our guest, Jared Hanning, who is a performance coach from Mindset Performance. I think I forgot to breathe there, Jared. (laughs) Welcome to the show, and I'm so happy to have this chat with you. Wonderful. It's good to be here. Excellently sent Jared a whole line of capitalized text earlier, and then he sent me a back a line of capitalized text. I'm having some trouble with my mouth this morning. And along the thought of mindset, I realized we are having a capitalized energetic moment. And I'm really excited about this being a capitalized energetic podcast, but not capitalized necessarily money, because I think we need to get the the mindset and energy on first. What do you think, Jared? Uh, I think it's all about the mindset, and we are certainly having a caps lock day. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I got to tell you, and then, then I will do a more proper introduction for you. My husband woke up on the wrong side of the bed this morning, and I realized just in the last couple months of working on it that I have gotten myself, I've been working on myself to the point that his bad moods don't impact me anymore. Have you ever encountered that? Like somebody who just had the ability to impact your day, but then after you worked on it yourself, you could keep on going and even get brighter in their dimness? It takes a lot of self-awareness, but people need to be given the space that they need to do what they need to do. They do. And you need to somehow not let that be a reflection of your worth in that moment. Amen to that. Well, listeners, I want to tell you that Jared is a classically trained musician who broke a pretty typical role in the starving artist scene and broke six figures in his business by doing so many different things, which I'm sure we're going to talk about. But now he really works with mindset, which we'll get into that too. But Jared, welcome again. I know it's like five minutes late for another welcome, but I would love if you would share more of your journey with the listeners because it's just so refreshing to hear. Ah, thank you. I'm glad you mentioned the music. I believe there could be some real insights there that can help people have the breakthrough themselves. Because yes, when I was a freelance musician, I did break six figures working 20 hours a week. And the things that I did to do that apply to just about all of the artistic and creative entrepreneurial ventures. So I would be happy to talk about those things. I believe they're very simple. They're very easy to implement. 
and, and you can start to work less, but make more as well. My entrepreneurial journey was not a straight road. For many years, I was under the illusion that success was a byproduct of riding the right horse. So I would be off in one direction and then life would happen. And after a couple of years, I'd be like, gosh, this sucks. I've just, I'm working all the time and I don't have any money. I remember I started off like remodeling houses and at the end of a couple of years, four or five years, I was like, ah, geez, forget it. If I'm going to be broke, I might as well be broke and happy. So I'm going to get right. back into music. So I went back into music and I started working in music. And um, after a couple of years, I was like, ah, I'm so tired of not having any money and working all the time. This sucks. Blah. And so I decided to get into real estate investing. Of course, you know how this story ends as well. So I can just go ahead and skip to the end. This sucks. I'm um, tired of not the... having any money. <laughs> yes, that's yes. exactly how it ended. <laughs> Even though what I was in was wonderful because we were buying houses for five and $7,000. I was featured on ABC Nightline for doing this. We would owner finance them. We were creating homeowners in neighborhoods and, and squatters were only possible. We were really making a difference in these people's lives and in the city's lives and neighborhoods. It was great. And Wait, as Jared, investors, I just, you, I just spilled my coffee on my mouse. I was trying to take a sip on mute. You said five to 7,000. You were buying them for five to 7,000. Correct. Like correct. I was Absolutely. so shocked by that, that I literally just spilled my coffee all over my mouse. <laughs> I've never heard of that before. Wow. Okay. Yes, sorry. Yes, I didn't mean to interrupt your story we so quickly. If, if you're in the real estate space and you don't have coffee in your hand, you can certainly, I mean, you can pick up mobile homes for a couple thousand dollars and mobile homes rent for almost the same as traditional apartments do. So if you imagine that you've got a mobile home that you paid $6,000 for and it's renting for 600 a month, that means in the first year you've got all your money back. And so every year after that is just gravy. You can get mobile homes for free. I wasn't doing mobile homes. I was doing traditional homes, like regular ranch style, wow. mom and pop, brick, you know, stick built homes. So we were doing those. We would certainly get them for 5000 I had one for like 3500 We could buy them for $10,000 every day and twice on Sunday. The reason this happens is a bank will have a property that they take back and then that property will go to auction and nobody will buy it because the bank is being too greedy first time around. And then it'll go to auction again and nobody will buy it because the bank is still too greedy. And then it'll go to auction again and nobody will buy it. And eventually the bank goes, fine, just take it. And um, so it's weird because the bank goes from being totally unreasonable to totally stupid. Yeah. Like, you know, there should be some sort of moderation in it, but they don't. That's just how banks operate. They're like, you know what? We're not in the house business. We're in the lending business. We've got to get this off our books. I don't care. Just give us a number. Is so, there an alert for, hey, people, this house is on auction for the third time now. You can get it dirt cheap. Because I've seen like foreclosure auctions, but I've never seen mm -hmm. one that's – and I live in a small town in Ohio. Oh, so, I did lots of houses in Ohio. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know if you know that my first career, which I realized I was not passionately in love with, I was an interior architect. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I looked at some houses when we were looking to buy our house that just required a lot of work inside. It doesn't scare me, except for the fact that I've got all my kids and all my animals and my husband, you know, but it doesn't scare me if it's not the house that we're living in. Mm -hmm. That sounds so exciting to me. It was. So the thing is, at the time I was buying houses from the nation's single largest home buyer, 
He lived about 30 minutes from my house here in South Carolina. At that time, he was buying 4,000 houses a year. And so he's buying like a package of 10 houses in Ohio and the whole package is $100,000. So do the math, $10,000 a house. Wow. Well, when you're an investor and you call him and you're like, hey, I'm looking to pick up some more houses this month. What do you have? And he says, I've got 10 houses in Ohio for, I don't know, let's say $70,000. Do you want them? You have to say yes or no. None of this, well, can I look at them? I mean, when you're getting a house for $7,000, you need to be able to handle any problems that might be attached to it. You need to be able to understand that you might have to just tear the house down and sell the land. So we, we had that mindset. We were like, look, this is a house for $7,000. It doesn't matter what it looks like. For $7,000, we can make it work. That could and, be heck of a scary <laughs> well, it could be, it could uh, be. But, but also exciting, you know, like if they, this, as the saying goes, it's, it's not rocket science for rocket scientists. Right. So we would do that. We double our income about every year. It's just that for whatever reason, my half always seemed to be less than the uh, investors half. And after a couple of years, I just got tired of yeah. that. So there is the next step in my entrepreneurial journey of switching horses because I thought there was something wrong with my horse. Never crossed my mind that I just wasn't riding it properly. Mm. So back to music. This time I'm like, you know what? There are people in music who are making oodles of money. And there are people in music who are absolutely starving. For that matter, there are famous bands with platinum records on the wall that during the summer have to mow yards to make ends meet. So just, it's all over the map, right? I'm like, all right, okay, if I was a business owner, what would I do differently? So if you are in the creative arts, if you like to make cookies, if you like to paint, if you like to knit, if you like to draw, if you like to write books or poetry, get out your notepad. I'm going to show you how to make six figures working 20 hours a week in the creative arts. And my friends, you can do that nights and weekends, no trouble. Won't be very long before you've completely replaced, maybe even doubled your day job. So here's how you do it. Number one, stop working one on one. When I was uh, teaching private lessons, I was teaching lessons one on one, which put my time as the bottleneck. I stopped doing that. Now, once you stop doing that, there's no limit to what's possible. Some people teach their craft one on many by doing YouTube lessons. Some people teach one-on-many by doing group lessons. I opted for the middle road, which was the doctor visit model. When you go see the doctor, the doctor doesn't check you in, schedule your appointment, reschedule your appointment, answer your questions, take your vitals, enter, enter you into the room. The doctor comes in for only the thing that the doctor is needed for. Everything else is outsourced. If the doctor did not do that, and the doctor insisted on scheduling you and rescheduling you and asking and checking in. If the doctor did all that other stuff, your healthcare costs would be unaffordable. They, they would just be untouchable because it doesn't work that way. So what I would do is I would have a hallway and students in rooms down the hallway. Somebody else would take care of preparing the student if they, if they were young and beginners and needed that help. And I would come in and help them and demonstrate, ask a few questions, and then leave them with an assignment. Because nobody learns while I'm talking, they learn while they're doing it. Mm. 
Just like going to the gym, you don't get stronger while your strength trainer is demonstrating. You get stronger when you're doing it yourself. So I would leave the room. They would do the work. I would come back in 10 or 15 minutes to check on them to be sure they'd done it correctly and repeat the cycle. Consequently, I was making two and three times what any other private teacher in my town was doing. My students loved it. My, the parents loved it. I loved it. Uh, if you, I don't know if you've ever taken piano lessons as a kid or I guitar have. lessons. Yeah, you have. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you've probably had this experience where your teacher like uh, maybe demonstrates something or maybe your teacher asks you to demonstrate what you had been practicing that week. And so now it's your turn to play and you sit down and you get ready to play and you stretch your fingers out over the keys and you're just about to hit that first note and your teacher goes, no, 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 wait, wait, wait. And it's like, chill, you know, I'm learning. Give me a chance to get started. I haven't been playing for 40 years. I can't do it instantly, perfectly, right away. So, you know, students need time to work out the kinks. They, right. they need time in a safe, uninterrupted space. So by giving them that, they were happier. The parents were happier. They played longer. They got more fulfillment. It was great. So that's You've the first You've got me step. thinking about my piano teacher now. Sorry to interrupt oh. your story. <laughs> because my mom would take my sister and I, and the three of us would have back-to-back lessons. But mom would always pick up donuts and coffee on the way there. So not only did the teacher have to wait for us, it was in our home, too, I should mention. Okay. She had to wait for us to wash our hands because we were eating donuts in between our turns. Uh-huh. And then mom would be chatting with her coffee and with her donut with the teacher. Yeah? Yeah. Wow. Mind oh. blow. Yeah. Great. Great. Great memories. Heck yeah. Well, I'm just thinking about all that wasted time. She could have had a whole hallway of pianos. You know, yes. With kids with clean hands when she finally got there. Yeah. Even if it's not about the money. Right. You should at least be doing it because you care about their growth. Growth happens when they're doing it, not when you're talking about it. So if you are a painter and you enjoy painting, but you're spending so much time doing it that it would be really nice if painting started to add to your income, simply start teaching group classes. If you are a knitter or a cookie cutter, you can teach group classes. So that's the first thing. Stop going one-on-one. Find a way to go one-to-many. There's lots of ways to do that. Here's the second step. My students used to come to me with extra money in their pocket and say, hey, we have all this extra money. What should we do with it? And I would say, oh, no, don't give your money to me. Take it down the road. Give it to the music store. Are you kidding me? That was dumb. They're coming to me because they value my insight. They want my opinion. They care about my role in their life. Parents and students, what do we do? What do we do? So I just spent the 20 or 30 minutes necessary to fill out a retail license form in my state, called up a few music distributors, said, hey, I've got a small shop. I'd like to carry your stuff. They said, great. Just let us know what you want. My students will come in. They'd say, hey, uh, we need a new instrument. What should we use? I say, I'll have three of them here next week for you to try out. They'd pick one. I'd send the other two back. So by doing that, I opened up another income stream that didn't require me to work any other hours. And because I was doing it on demand, I didn't have to keep stockpiles of rotting, deteriorating, depreciating inventory. It was just on demand. So it didn't take up any extra space. 
It didn't take up any more time. Wow. So back to cookies and knitting. You're making cookies. You're knitting. We've got you to step one. Start teaching group classes or find some way to leverage the number of people you can teach. Write a book about it. Do a video tutorial about it. Whatever. Step two. All of those people need hardware. They need tools and utensils and materials. Spend the 20 or 30 minutes to get your retail license so that you can provide those to them. It saves time for them because they don't have to go somewhere else. They're already there. It saves time for you, income, everybody wins. They're happier because they know this is something that you approve of and they trust you. You're happier because it increases your impact into their lives. Okay, step three. I used to play weddings, play in the symphony, that kind of thing. And I stopped playing gigs and I started booking gigs. If I'm playing gigs, there's a very hard limit on the number of gigs I can play at one time, which by the way is one. By booking, there's no limit. Now, sure, I still play in the symphony. I'll probably play in the symphony till I die. I still play weddings, but I'm not doing it as a musician. I'm now doing it as an agent. So I provide gigs for other musicians. I book. There's no limit there. So let's say that you are a painter. You enjoy painting. You enjoy your crafts. We've got you teaching other people how to do it. Kids, families, doesn't matter. Uh, we've got you selling the supplies that they need because they're already coming to see you. They already know what to do next. Step three is you have your paintings up in the restaurants, right? You've got your paintings in the local hotel lobby, right? Because that's how they increase the beauty and attractiveness of their space. And um, that's how you make a little bit extra money because you sell your painting, give them a little bit of commission. Well, here's the deal. They rotate every couple months and a new artist goes in there. When it's your turn to rotate out, you say, hey, a friend of mine does this kind of style and it could be a great contrast to what we just finished. Would you like me to introduce you? So you're now booking art showings for other artists. And of course, you get a small commission on anything that sells during that term. So you're booking for other people. By doing those three things, I was able to reach more people, make a bigger difference, bigger impact, and of course, increase my income. I broke six figures as a freelance musician, which is unheard of, working 20 hours a week. I would encourage you to do the same if you're in the artistic space. Holy moly. I want to parallel this to even if you're not in the artistic space, if you don't mind, Jared, because oh. I'm going through a bit of the same journey myself now. I've been one to one with clients for six years and I burnt myself out. So mm -hmm. now I've built my team who is I'm booking my team, right? I've got the graphic designers. I've got, I've got the Infusionsoft support. I have the landing page builders. I have the copywriters. I have everybody. I'm booking them, but I'm selling their services. And I'm not doing all the work myself anymore. And then also, I've got clients who ask all day, every day, what tool are you using for this, that, and every other thing? Now, I don't need any inventory. I give them referral links. And for many of the tools and software that I recommend, I'm getting recurring monthly commission on those products. Yes. Now I need to step it up a little bit because listeners, you know, I'm very transparent here. I haven't broken the six figure yet. It 
will very likely happen this year. Actually, we're on target to go over six figures. But this was the first year that I actually had all three of those going like I really wanted them to. And right now I'm actually designing my first real course because how would you say that you ride your horse? I didn't mean to... A horse is a horse, of course, of course. I didn't mean to, you know. Did you hear that too, or was it just me? Yes, I did. Yeah. I did. Heck yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I'm designing my first couple courses now. And I'm Yay. so excited. But I was I was not just writing it backward, but I was upside down looking at all the wrong bits that you definitely don't want to look at. <laughs> just to give you an idea, okay? And then yep. I, I also heard every day is a winding road. Who's that? Cheryl Crow? Ah, you got me there. I'd have to Google it. Yeah. uh, Listeners, I'll have it in the show notes. But every day was a winding road for the longest time until I really got an idea of what I wanted to be doing. And like Jared, it couldn't just be for this five years, but I don't, I'm hoping not. I hope to at least stay on one road for a little bit longer. But even if I don't, those courses will be set up. And even if I switch roads, they can still be selling themselves. Mm -hmm. That's right. Yeah. Evergreen, we call it. So you, you built your six, oh wait, I, I never, I didn't wait for an answer and I can't believe I remember the question. What way would you say that you were riding your horse? How was I riding my horse? I was riding my horse as if it was the horse's job to produce the results. Mm. And now giving them I the reins quite right literally. Now. Yes. Giving the horse the reins. Yeah. It's up to me. I mean, there are people that make millions of dollars with trash. They just simply go to the dumpster behind a retail store because the retail store will lose money shipping discontinued items back to the supplier because they got to pay the shipping cost. So it's cheaper for them to just throw them away and write the loss off. Well, they're throwing away brand new things. Many times still in the freaking box. There's people making millions of dollars a year just going dumpster diving. This is America. <laughs> you can make money doing whatever you want. Has nothing to do with the horse that you're riding. Has everything to do with how you're riding that horse. Are you determined to find a way? Or are you determined to find a reason why you can't but others can? That's the difference. I'm a little bit concerned at this very moment because when you were sharing that story, all I could think about was a big name box store, big box store that's right down the street from my house. And the first thing I thought of was, I wonder if their dumpsters are accessible. Listeners, we're not encouraging you to start going dumpster (laughs) diving. We don't need you getting chronic idea disorder while you have, you know, your own mission and initiatives that you're trying to build and your, your own dreams. Because I'm sure that right up until that very moment, you weren't thinking about going dumpster diving. However, you know, if that's what your new calling is, then go for it. I'm so intrigued, <laughs> though. I wonder if that store's dumpsters are, like, accessible and whether or not it's even legal. I would look into that, though, before you even go there. Okay. So you built your six-figure music, music business, but then mm-hmm. you shifted again. Shifted again. So I was a full-time musician for 15, maybe 20 years, just kind of depending on how you're counting as far as a profession. I am still the principal violist with the South Carolina Philharmonic. But after, I don't know, a period of time, 15, 20 years, I just felt like, okay, I'm good. <laughs> time 
to move on. Next. I, I just, I felt like life was calling me to something new. Felt like it was time to step out. It was time to grow as a person. And I, ju- I just felt like life was, yeah, calling me to speak and train and coach. So I stepped out in that field, which is where I'm at today. And it's been a wonderful journey. My clients normally double their income in the first year by purposely working less hours. Um, I know that sounds like snake oil, but we use a Nobel nominated approach that teaches them how to think at a higher level. Hence the name of my company, Mindset Performance. Okay, but how did you get into that? So I started. Yeah, yeah. It, well, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, fine. It is. I'll give you that. So I started uh, speaking. And when you start speaking, it comes down to, great, what are you going to talk about? So I was like, well, shoot, I have experience as a professional musician. I'm classically trained. I still play with the symphony. I'm the principal. So I can talk about leadership. I can talk about teamwork. I can talk about productivity and systems. So I would go speak at conferences and um, I would just share kind of stories from the stage. This is what we're doing in the symphony. This is what music is doing in your brain. I've got a lot of TEDx talks about that. And this is how you can take advantage of those concepts for greater leadership, for greater impact, influence, greater productivity on your own life. Let me show you what I do as a practicing musician, perfecting my craft and the difference that that makes in your day as you sit down at your desk. So I would talk on that. And back then my company was Musical Secrets because I was sharing these secrets from the stage, if you will. And then one day I was at this conference and this guy hands me a link to the Nobel nominated MindScan. He says, here, try this. Let me know what you think. Holy moly. That was a game changer. The MindScan became the missing link between the work I was doing and the work that was possible in my clients' lives. So when you go see a doctor, the doctor oftentimes does not say, well, I don't know. Why don't you try this? And we'll see what happens. What the doctor says is, let's march you down the hall and take an MRI and then we'll know what to do. So they print up the MRI. Radiologist points to the picture, says, right, here's the problem. Doctor says, okay, I know how to fix that. Well, that's the same with the work that I do as a performance coach. We have you take the mind scan, print it up, It prints up a graph of your thinking patterns. That graph is as unique as you are. And because of that, it is your breakthrough map. It shows exactly where the blind spot is that's been tripping you up. It shows exactly where your next breakthrough is. And it teaches you in the process of going that why it's true that the less you work, the more you make. And specifically what that looks like in your business. How do you outsource something or delegate something even if you don't have the money to pay them? How do you still do that? How do you plan and build systems to support you even if you feel like you don't have time because there's too many houses on fire, too many alligators that need wrestling? How do you do those things even if you feel like you don't have the time or money to get started? And because of that, not only it becomes clear why it's Nobel nominated, but it gives you the information you need to work less but make more. And that has been a game changer. Jared, I have a request. Listeners, I want you to know that I didn't ask Jared anything about this. This is the first that I've, I mean, I knew about the mind scan, but I didn't know that much about the mind scan. I have a request. You can feel free to say no, but I'm putting you on the spot. I would love to do the mind scan myself and then come back for part two and go over it so the listeners can hear. I think it'd be a, a great idea just to get your, your opinion on it and your, your experience on it. 30% of the people who take it are usually in tears because they find it so meaningful. 
you got to understand when you keep hitting the same obstacle every year, don't have enough time, don't have enough money. Um, you're at the same spot you started last year, even after doing all you knew what to do. Like it's frustrating and it's stressful and you feel like life's calling you to something greater, but you're just not there. And then you start to feel like irresponsible or incapable or incompetent. And then you're like embarrassed. Oh my God, it sucks. Well, when you have that breakthrough map and it shows you the doorway and it's simply a door that you had never noticed before, it's like, oh my gosh, wow. Very meaningful. But yes, we'll be happy to share it with you just as a professional peer-to-peer connection. I think, I think you'd enjoy it and you'd, you'd get a lot out of it. Yeah, you could be the second ever episode that I cry on. <laughs> I'm over here laughing though even while you were saying it takes people to tears and then you you just said like 18 things that were like jabbing me in the heart it's like mm. in a good way because you clearly know who you're talking to but it's you've been in the same place year after year after year I mean yes this is going to be the first year that we break six Yay. however I still feel like I'm in that same place mm. because I I resist. You can ask any of my team members. I resist delegation because sometimes I feel like it's just going to be easier for me to do myself. Well, come on, Kim. Mm-hmm. You can get into that and you can do that for the, uh, the next six years. But it's been <laughs> damn exhausting up till now. So what did the mind scan open you up to personally? Ah, there we go. Uh, many, many things. Holy moly, holy moly. Going through the mind scan and then learning about the tools that allow you to get where you want to go, just many times it's just simply a matter of turning right at an intersection that you've normally turned left at. It's not hard. It's not. It's really not. It's just a matter of knowing that you needed to turn right there instead of left. So some things in my own life that the mind scan kind of brought to light and and helped me to overcome. One of them was... Being focused on getting things done does not cause things to get done. I had prided myself in being type A, being driven, being a, a getter dunner. You know, you can count on me to get it done and just an achiever. And I had, but if I was honest, at the end of the day, it felt like I was really busy. I might have had returned 100 emails and had 27 phone calls and gone to three meetings and skipped lunch and stayed late but it didn't feel like I actually moved the ball forward. Felt like I was just going to have to do all the debt again tomorrow. Felt like, truthfully, I was busy doing somebody else's work and I wasn't honoring what life was calling me to. I was just doing busy stuff because I felt like it had to get done and there wasn't anyone else that I could delegate it to or I couldn't afford to outsource it. That's where I was at. And that's a byproduct of being focused on getting things done. Being focused on getting things done doesn't cause things to get done. It just causes your brain to look for other things to do. So there, there's a name for the pattern. And uh, if, if you're able to take the mind scan, I'll be happy to show it to you when that happens. But essentially, if you will look at your to-do list, and if, if you're listening, uh, I want you to write this phrase down. If I'm doing the work, my business is falling behind If I'm doing the work, my business is falling behind. If you will look at your to-do list, what I want you to notice about the items on your to-do list is that 99.99999% of them could be outsourced to somebody for $10 or $15 an hour, provided that individual was trained, that they had, you know, a manual 
or a clear understanding of how you needed it done. But it could all be outsourced for 10 or $15 an hour. By being focused on getting things done, what you're doing is priding yourself in making 10 or $15 an hour. And you cannot solve a bad strategy with stubbornness. If life's calling you to something, to express a creativity or to express a voice or a perspective or to make a difference, you can't get there by spending your day in what somebody else should be doing. Like it's just, it's like basic math. So that's the first thing. Using a to-do list doesn't cause you to get things done. It actually distracts you from the things that make the bigger difference. It I distracts feel, you. I'm getting my butt kicked on my own podcast. Oh, very sorry. I'm, okay, I'll tone, no, I'll tone it down. No, I'm looking at my own to-do to -do list. Oh, my heavens. Like, I, I just <laughs> went through. Okay, I have eight items on my to-do list today, uh -huh. and only three of them do I actually need to do myself. Recording my solo episodes, you know, one of my team members can't do that. And I love to write my Tuesday emails because they're from mm -hmm. me. Mm -hmm. And then I have a goal of listening to 10 other podcasts a day. I mean, I know that's busy work and it really doesn't belong on my to-do list, but it's just something I love to do. But everything else, I have no reason to do that. I want to clean 200 emails out of my inbox. I don't need to do that. I can even have my team responding to emails for me. They know what to say. Which is another item on the list. To respond to so-and-so's <laughs> email. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so my So the goodness. trap people fall into is they say, well, this has to be done right now. Oh. Implying I don't have time to train somebody else or find somebody else or find another way to do it. It has to be done right now. It's really urgent. And I already have the uh, people. That's oh, what you makes already it have even more. Yeah. I have a team of eight, Jared. There is wow. no reason why these other five items are on my list. So in that case, the trap is that way of thinking. Mm -hmm. The way of thinking is that getting things done is what matters. And whenever you check something off your to-do list, you get that dopamine hit. You feel a sense of pride and accomplishment. Ooh, look what I did. Ooh, I did something. Ooh, I did something. But now we have this distinction. If you're doing it, your business is falling behind. Because in the moment of time that you spent doing it, you didn't use that time building systems to support you. You didn't use that time building up people, emotional bank deposits, building high value relationships to support you. So tomorrow you're gonna have to do it again. Wow. I mean, a couple of these, three of these items alone are probably an hour to two hours a piece. And in that time I could be recording not only all the, like our chat, and the other two chats I have scheduled for today, but all my solo episodes probably for the next couple months. And then I could get that off my plate for the next couple months. That's huge. Oh, that is huge. huge. Okay. The analogy here is the fire chief. Mm -hmm. When a house is on fire and the fire station gets the call, fire chief's on the phone. If the fire chief was to go to the house fire, he would be endangering the lives of the firefighters, the civilians, the other houses, and the other houses in town. When a call comes in, the fire chief's job is to sit in the chair and cause things to happen. 
not to do them. His job is to make phone calls. His job is to write lists, build systems, build checklists, build people, make sure they understand, build backup plans, build failure backup plans. His job is to plan. His job is to build people. If he's actually doing the work, then the fire station is less effective. So when the highly effective person has a stressful day where there's more on their to-do list and they have time to get done, they say to themselves, holy moly, there's more here than I have time to get done. Because of that, I have to plan. And they go to work planning, making sure that contingencies and efficiencies and strategies in place, I have to work with people. I can't do this by myself. Who can help? Who can consult? Who can partner? If I don't have the money to pay them, who can I partner with and give them maybe a percentage of the outcome? How else can this be done? And they keep doing that until it works on paper. Only then, if there's anything left to be done, will they touch it. The stressed individual who doesn't have enough money, who doesn't have enough time, when they have a to-do list with more on there than there's time to get done, their brain goes, holy freak, there's more on here than I have to get time. Oh my gosh, I better hustle up. I need to start working faster. I better work harder and faster. I don't have time. I got to go, 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 go. Consequently, at the end of the day, they have less time, they have less money, they got less done. They might have checked a lot of little things off their list, but it didn't move the ball forward and tomorrow they're going to have to do it again. It's not because they're bad people. It's just the way their brain is wired because it gets that dopamine hit from checking something off. The leader, the leader who makes a difference gets a dopamine hit from, did it move the ball forward? Did it make a difference long-term? That's what the leader's looking for. That's why they work less, but make more. And as their life goes on, their days get easier because they're building systems to support them and people to support them. Whoa. My team uses teamwork, a project management tool for communication and tasks and scheduling and all that. Yeah. And I actually have a board with my online business manager, Sam, where I'm supposed to go in. And I, I told myself this and I told her to keep me accountable for it and create each day's top five. However, I started journaling again recently, which has been really healthy for me. And mm-hmm. I've started putting my my daily task list in my journal. So she hasn't been seeing it. And had she been seeing it, she is amazing at telling me, Kim, you don't need to be doing this. So-and-so can do this for you. And I'm going to reassign it. And then it just disappears. And it gets done while I am recording podcasts with awesome people like you. Rock you just reshaped... I need to go back to that. And maybe in if I absolutely, because I don't like having 18,000 tabs open. That's why I, I started doing it in my journal. Then I just take those two, if there's even two, items that only I can do. And those go into my journal and are in front of me all day. But I get the rest. I just had to start doing the morning or evening before brain dump again. Bang. Yes. And that, that's a key, that's a key strategy that you mentioned. Success is not an accident. If you don't have as much work as you want, if you don't have as much money as you want, either you're not as good as you think you are, or you're not making enough phone calls. Um, the more conversations you have, the more phone calls you're in, the more it rains and marketing solves all ills. So because success is not an accident, 
what you described is a major key in accessing that power. What you described was, I really just need a list with the one or maybe occasionally two things that I'm responsible for that day. Now you have only those things in front of you and nothing else to distract you. And you just simply write down, how many minutes did you spend doing that that day? If it was phone calls, if it was cold calls, if it was writing little marketing pieces or content, how many articles did you write that day? How many phone calls did you make write that day? When you begin to track that, you begin to see a difference. Now, if you're in a situation where you don't have the money to hire somebody and you feel like you don't have the time, probably what's happening is you wake up and on your heart, life has impressed upon you what it is calling you to next. Like you just know, you know what life is calling you to next. And then you go sit down at your desk and you look at your to-do list, which of course is nothing but that. And you say, oh my gosh, I've got to get all this stuff cleared out of the way so that I have more time to spend on what life is calling me to next. So you go to work, working hard and fast and trying to clear everything out of the way. And as the day goes on, there's less and less time available because new stuff crops up to steal your time away. At the end of the day, you're like, crap, I've only got 30 minutes. Okay, tomorrow, tomorrow, I'm really going to apply. No, here's how you break the cycle. You wake up, you're very clear on you what life is calling you to next, to write a chapter in your book, to have that hard conversation with somebody, to uh, reach out to somebody, to go to a whatever. You know what it is. You don't need a to-do list to tell you. When you sit down at your desk, you are not allowed to check email. You are not allowed to look at your to-do list until after you have spent time doing the thing that life is calling you to. After you've written another paragraph in your book, after you've written another blog post, after you've done a Facebook Live, whatever it is that you know life's calling you to, start with that. Now, here's the deal. The thing that life's calling you to also happens to be the thing that makes the biggest difference, that reaches the most people, that pays the most money. The things on your to-do list could be outsourced for 10 or $15 an hour. The thing that life is calling you to could be outsourced for what, $500 an hour? Like, you'd have to pay somebody a lot of money to perform at the level that that requires. Well, my friends, if you will start your day with that task, it won't be very many days until you have all the money you need to outsource the 10 or $15 an hour tasks. Jared, I just want to bring up, and I'm not an affiliate, nor have I used them before, but I, I've heard quite a few large podcasters who have, plus I have a couple of friends who have, virtualstafffinder.com. I believe Chris Ducker, and I could be totally wrong. I believe it's his company. Okay. But they're, they're Filipino virtual assistants, mm-hmm. which you can often hire for anywhere between 3 and $8 an hour. Yes. So, yes. And, they're, and they're vetted already. You tell Virtual mm-hmm. Staff Finder, and I think the fee is four ninety five. You tell them 495 You tell them what you're looking for, and they send you three or four to interview. And if within the first 30 days they don't work out, then they'll send you new ones. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I did not realize. I thought I was riding the horse the right way. But <laughs> up until, well, I'm still, I have to go take care of this and delegate. But I've still been riding the horse upside down and backwards. Whoa. Here's what's so wild about that virtual staff finder that you just mentioned. Okay, one excuse that people say is I don't have time to train somebody. This has to be done right now. I don't have time to train somebody. Virtual Staff Finder, those assistants 
they are used to working for people just like you. Like there's a whole department of people that only serve book writers, that only serve speakers, that only serve consultants, that only serve coaches. They already know what you need done. That's all they do is serve people just like you. So there goes the time excuse. Then people say, well, I just don't have enough money to hire somebody for crying out loud. We're not asking that you hire an American citizen to work 40 hours a week for you and you're out $75,000 a year. No, we're asking you to set aside $20 a week, give up Starbucks for crying out loud, set aside 20 a week, hire a virtual assistant for one day a week. With that one day, dedicate your time to what makes the biggest difference. Amen to that. I mean, when you look at it, it, let's just say you found one for $3 an hour. I mean, that's not even $10 a day if all you got was three hours a day. And there's so much that can be done for three hours a day. Pardon the barking in the background. There's a cat trying to get in and a dog doesn't like it. Oh, my gosh. I am so excited right now. I'm wondering where, where else in my business I am riding upside down and backwards. Oh, I'm so excited about this. I don't mean to just rush into this, but we are going to have a part two. I, I'm not going to give you a choice, Jared. I'm sorry. Yes, ma'am. Where can listeners go to find out more about the mind scan and more about working with you, even if it's not one-on-one? And again, I'm sorry about the dog. No, dogs are welcome. Cats are welcome to join in this particular podcast episode. Please join us. My friends, if you're listening to this and you feel like life is calling you to something greater, but every year you're getting beat down Uh, You feel like you don't have the time to succeed. You feel like you don't have the money to succeed. Uh, You feel like at the end of your day, most of your time was spent doing little stuff that somebody else probably needs to be doing. You're doing all you know to do. Everything you're doing makes sense, but it's not working. And you feel like life is calling you to something greater. My clients normally double their income in the first year by purposely working less hours. Working less hours is the key that opens up that door. It's just a matter of where is that door located in their life. My friends, I have been there myself. My clients have been there myself. And what I want to share with you is something that I believe could renew your uh, momentum, could renew your belief in what's possible, could maybe even elevate your mindset a little bit so that you start to notice new opportunities in your life. Uh, I have a series of case studies that I'd like to share with you Uh, Things that my clients have done to open that door in their life so that they're working less but making more. And I believe by going through some of these case studies, it might just open up some new opportunities for you, some things you might see. And in the process of sharing the case studies with you, you'll get to see specifically what the mind scan had revealed about their business and their life and why that information was the key for them to doubling their income by working less hours. So if you want to check that out, just simply go to Mindset call.co mindsetcall.co co being two letters co go check that out you'll get the the three case studies you'll see the information my clients have been using that causes them to work less but make more wow 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 listeners i really do hope that you take jared up on that and i do want to hear like what you learn after going there. So go over to the kimsutton.com forward slash PP536. You'll find that link there and also a place to leave your comments, including your ahas. And when the second part of the episode is up, there will also be a link to the second part. Jared, 
thank you so much. Like I can see how my business's income or net, what am I trying to say? Net or gross revenue? The, the stuff we keep at the end of the year can easily double just by just by fixing my to-do list. So mm-hmm. thank you. Like I, yes, I can't wait to learn more. Do you have a parting piece of advice or a golden nugget that you can share with listeners? Parting piece of advice. If I'm doing the work, my company's falling behind. Your job as a leader is to build systems to support you and people to support you. If life is calling you to something greater, then your responsibility is to not do it, but rather cause it to happen. By causing it to happen, that's infinitely scalable. Spend your time on building systems to support you and people to support you. By doing so, you're an even greater responsibility of what life is calling you to because that empowers you to reach more people and make a bigger difference. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Positive Productivity Podcast. When I'm not podcasting, I'm supporting six to seven figure business coaches with their marketing automation and entrepreneurs like you through my coaching and mastermind programs. I want to invite you to visit thekimsutton.com to learn how I can help you take your business to the next level.